0: Welcome to Running Matters, episode seven. I'm joined with special guest Andrew Lloyd, 5000 meter gold medalist in the 1990 Commonwealth Games in Auckland. Thanks for joining us, mate, and giving us giving us up your time. Uh, how are the legs these days?
1: Oh, they're going pretty good. I've been doing a fair bit more running lately. It actually makes it
0: feel better. More running I do. And uh, what are you are you're you doing a lot of running for a particular reason? Have you have you got a race coming up? Yeah, that's... I've done a
1: stupid thing. I've entered the uh, Gold Coast Marathon, so I can't pull out. All my mates give sh- put shit on me if I do. So I'm gearing up to probably run a three and a half hour marathon. I'll be happy with that.
0: Not bad, mate. I wish I, uh, I wish I could bang out a three and a half hour marathon when I'm, uh, when I'm in my 50s. So you're, uh, you've obviously still, still got it. You've had an illustrious career. Um, for the Com Games, you went to the Olympics in Seoul in uh, 88 and competed in the 5,000 and 10,000. Your time for the 5,000 was 13.42. Um, You you ended up taking incredible 20 seconds off that for the gold in Auckland. Uh, That time was 13.24. Was that your PB for the 5,000?
1: Yes, it was. My biggest mistake, I should have been a 1,500 metre runner. That's what I should have been doing.
0: How, um, I I guess that's a, a, a... a good, a good segue, how did you um end up getting into 5,000 and not doing shorter distances?
1: Well, I started with 800s at school and got to the state under 16 to 800 and I won the state title, but they decided to take a private school kid instead of me after I won it. So that sort of pushed me away from running the track and I went into fun runs. That's how I got my name, the fun run king when I was uh, growing up going all over the countryside, winning all his races.
0: Perfect. We'll get into that shortly. Um, So I noted that in the 10,000 metres in Seoul, there was a a DNF next to your name. So what happened?
1: I was just feeling flat and tired, and I thought, well, I've got the 5K to come. And in those days, you did a heat and final in the 10. And also in the 5K, you had a heat, semi and final. Uh, These days, I think they only do two races in the 10 and two races in the 5 now. So I thought I would just leave uh, a bit of energy in my body and just maybe uh, hopefully I'll come good with a 5k.
0: Yep.
1: So did you actually start start the race? or? Oh yeah, with a 10k I did. I started it and did about six, seven laps and it just wasn't happening. And I said, well, you're just flogging a dead horse. You know when you're on and when you're not, and I definitely wasn't
0: on that day and how, how what was the distance um, time wise between your your 5000 when how long how long did you have to wait to your 5000 race
1: uh, i think it was about 5 days or so but you know you run a track, 10k track real hard uh, your body doesn't really recover that well
0: um i also note that you won the world cross country championships in 85 and then again in 89 that's that's incorrect?
1: No, no, that's definitely incorrect. <laughs> I wasn't a great cross-country runner. I know I won the Nationals one year and got second one year as well. Uh, I did win the uh, Japanese cross-country title, and that was with all the Kenyans, Tanzanians. It was all the international field. So I beat, beat a lot of top top runners there.
0: Yeah, I can, I can see that one on my list. That was in 89. So what did you, what'd you win cross-country-wise in 85?
1: Jesus, I couldn't,
0: wouldn't know. <laughs> Seriously, I've raced so many
1: years and you just don't remember everything. So, uh, 85, 85, geez. Um, I was injured half the year and then I had my car accident in 85. So, yeah, I can't remember.
0: Okay, that's all right. Um, so, the cross country that you won in Japan, was that a 12K?
1: Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure, but it was an undulating course,
0: a very fast course too. So, was obviously um, you, you excelled on the track. What what was your preference? You, you've sort of answered the question as far as uh, cross country goes, but and and you've also mentioned that you were the uh, fun run king. What 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 was your preference, running on the track or or the road?
1: Later on, it was definitely on the track. I, I love running on the track. So I always had that killer speed and stuff. So when it come to a sprint finish, I usually cleaned up most people. The road I still enjoyed because it was less uh, intense, uh, track you know, you're, you're really tight before you even start, with a road run you know, you're a bit more relaxed. Uh, between the two I liked it, cross country, I wasn't really a cross country runner, even though I ran reasonably well on a few of them, but uh, generally if it was a real tough course, no, nah, I wouldn't be going too well. Would, is that because it wasn't flat? Uh, no, no, it was undulating and stuff, but if it was muddy and stuff. I'll, Look, my race weight was like 54, 55 kilos. Trying to power through mud and stuff with no strength is uh, pretty hard.
0: We've got a joke amongst ourselves that people that run on the track, they're flat track bullies <laughs> and they just stick to uh, flat road races and, and tracks. Is there any truth to that? Uh, not with me. i still, you know, city to surfs and
1: a lot of the big races I've raced around the world and that have been very hilly, so and I've won and that. So
0: nah, No, not to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, I, I, I believe it Speaking of the city to surf You've um, you've won that four times In 83, 84, 86 And you won it in 93 Which was ten years after you won your first one uh, Which is pretty incredible um, What was your fastest time for your city to surf? Uh, my last race in 93 was my, my um,
1: fastest time That was uh, 40 minutes and 21 seconds maybe I'm not too sure Around that time anyway
0: it's just incredible. It's it's easy to find, look up your your first place and the races that you've won, but d- did you have a couple of uh, podium finishes in the event as well?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I have finished second, third and fourth, maybe a fifth and a sixth and uh, a three-thousandth and something. <laughs> I've, I've gone the whole spectrum. What
0: about uh, more locally, the, the Sutherland, the surf? Yeah, I've won that about eight times
1: and... Uh, I've only ever got one place in it, and that was fourth. <laughs> that was my first time I did it, and then I won it every time I, I ran it, until I retired, of course. Now I've got my ass kicked every time. <laughs> but that's okay. Look, uh, yeah, Sala Surface, that's more of a flat man's run because it's downhill, and you have to be pretty fast. And for a track guy, it's, it's a very good race. Yep.
0: What, was, uh, what was your PB for that, that race? Uh, 30 minutes and 40 something seconds, I think. Wow, that's pretty quick for 11 Ks. Mm. Um, what about the Melbourne Marathon? Did you Have you won that three times? Yeah. And I've got down here two hours 26, two hours 17 and two hours 19. Mm. Did you also place in that race as well?
1: Uh, no, just three, three wins and I pulled out in the fourth time I went down. But yeah, the Victorians are a bit strange. I remember the first time I went down... Uh, I was with a team of older guys. So one of the guys pulled out and they wanted to enter a club team. So I decided to come down with them and it was a really hot day. I think it was about 28 degrees. And all the people in the front started pulling, falling away or dying. And I went past and actually won it without expecting to win or do anything. Just, just go down for a good time. And the next year I went down and there was racing a guy called Bill Scott. And I beat him and won it. And they said I was lucky. And then the third time went down around to 17 or whatever it was I can't remember now but and they said oh no one was in it so <laughs> and I, I think I still got the record for the youngest winner as well
0: okay how old were you when you when you won
1: it uh, I think it was 19 or 18 or something like that
0: that's pretty young because weren't you were you 29 or 31 when you won gold at Auckland
1: Yes, yeah, probably about, uh, yeah, it would have been around that age. Uh, I remember I ran a 1,500 metre PB at about 33, maybe, 32, 33. I ran, what, 336 for
0: 1,500. Wow, that's incredible. You've also won the um, Gold Coast Marathon in mm-hmm.
1: 2.23. That's <laughs> another story. I remember I was working for a, uh, a mob who set up displays, the country, we just finished off doing the, I think it was the hi-fi show or something like that, years and years and years ago, and you'd work flat out five days to set it up and in three days to pull it down. I remember, and you have about a week in between before we have to pull it down, I remember getting home one Friday about 12 o'clock at lunchtime, we clicked out and the show's about to start and I phoned out my brother and said, mate, do you want to go up to the Gold Coast with me? And he goes, oh yeah, Hop, hop in the car and we drove up. I entered the uh, marathon there, we got there and Saturday morning about 6, then we found a caravan park, checked in, mucked around, went and got a good seafood dinner and stuff, and then we went out to clubbing. I got home about 10.30 so I said, oh, I've got to get up, i got the race started at 6 or 6.30 or something, and I ran it, and I come back, hey, Dave, he goes, oh, how did you go? And Dave's my brother, of course, and I said, oh, I'm going to Hawaii. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you want a trip to Hawaii in yeah.
1: first place. Yeah. And I ran two twenty six yeah. and that was my when was that? That was that was my um was that my P B or second fastest time I could Might have ever run? More I can't remember now. It's just um uh, it's a long way away. But yeah, it was good.
0: So you ran two seventeen and two nineteen in Melbourne. Are they do you think they're your PBs? Do you remember do you have you run under two seventeen for a marathon?
1: Yeah, yeah, I ran second in the Sydney. Uh, marathon years ago when it was called the Wang marathon and they used to bring all the internationals out and I got second American beat me and then there was Kenyans and everyone else behind us so yeah that was a PB when I ran 214.35 that was 84 and that was the last marathon I ran after my accident and that was it.
0: So I'll have to get to your accident soon but um you know most distance runners they 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 start at five (laughs) thousand go to ten thousand and then go to the marathon did did the accident prevent you from taking that pathway
1: oh yeah I started ass about really started marathons and worked way down and I think the accident just forced me that I I couldn't run the marathons the way I wanted to run them and I was still you know kicking ass on the track so I thought that was a better way to go and like I said I was a I should have been a 1500 metre run. I had some real killer speed and I should have stayed to it.
0: Tell us about the accident.
1: Uh, well, we were down at the Institute of Sport where I was there on scholarship. Uh, and I was uh, on the way to I had a caravan down on the coast. So we were on the way down there to go spend some time down the caravan with my friend uh, Nick De Costello and my wife at that time, Lynn, And a uh, truck came around the wrong side of the road on, the, on a blind corner and just cleaned us up. That's where I lost my wife. And... Uh, that's why I sustained a number of injuries. And I remember waking up in hospital. Uh, I, was, uh, I don't know how long I was out for, <clears throat> but they had half my body in plaster. My ankle was snapped off. My arm was shattered. Uh, it was just lucky the no- nerve was intact. Otherwise, I would have lost my arm. And yeah, that's it. That was a, a pretty, you know, pretty hard time, very hard time.
0: I can imagine. It sounds like you're you're lucky to be still still be with us. Um, what about ultra marathons? Have you moved? Did you did you ever get into to anything you know longer or, you know, I, n- I know you've done the the six foot track. Have you done anything longer than that?
1: Yeah. It's funny when you're an athlete like doing the shorter stuff and even the marathons. We always considered ultra marathoners as a fruitcakes. <laughs> and wind the clock forward a bit and then uh, I've done the Oxfam trail walk 100k which is a total sort of difference of running I remember running 30k into the race and going I've still got another 70k to go I've never run 70k and uh, yeah it was a good feeling to run and finish but yeah yeah I never really got into the ultras I did a a couple of six foot tracks whatever but they were good fun but it's a different type of running I think the reason I liked the ultras was we were running in the bush. Yeah. You do it on the road. I just don't like the road running that much anymore.
0: Um, tell us about your six-foot track races.
1: <laughs> well, you got to understand I was retired at the time, so we'd get down there and uh, get on the turps the night before, and uh, you know be running with a hangover, which is not a really good th- thing to do. Uh, I think I finished two and DNF one. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, it's all about having a good time and, and socialising. So let's uh let's go back to the, the beginning. You you were born in Essex in, in England. When did you come out to Australia and where did you live? Oh, right. I was I came out when I was
1: five. We moved to a place called Mooney Ponds in Melbourne. It's an in inner-city area, and the time we came out was in 1964, <clears throat> and it wasn't a very ritzy place. We actually played in the city dump and the city creek and uh, it wasn't like even in my class in primary school there was probably eight of us who could speak English the rest couldn't. It was sort of the hub for immigration and that so and we never knew the word dago or wog because we were all in the same mix and uh, and when I came to Sydney then I found out what those words meant.
0: (laughs) And how old were you when you came up to Sydney and, and where were you living or schooling up here? Okay, I was about
1: 10, I think, 10 or 11, uh, 10, it would have been 10, and uh, we moved to Mona Vale, Northern Beaches, and then I uh, went to Mona Vale Primary School, and then my parents moved to Church Point, which is a real ritzy area, a great place, and I went to Pitwater High.
0: Very good, and so you you mentioned earlier that you were competing in uh, track or cross-country mm. in high school, was that under-16s, did you say?
1: Yeah, uh, I remember my mum off, offered me five bucks. I was a problem kid. I was, I was pretty naughty and played no sport. And my mum offered me five bucks to run the school cross-country. And if I would win, so I'd win it. And then she'd offer me five bucks for the zone. And so, and then I'd win that. And then at the area, be whiffy, you know. because I only trained a couple of days before the race or whatever. Uh, so I was lucky. I had a lot of natural ability. But that's how, how I got in there. And I remember in, when I was under, in the under-16s at the zone... I ran faster than the open guys, and I won by over two minutes in bare feet at Narrabeen Fitness Camp. If you ever run around there, it was around the back hills on the blue metal and everything. And his teacher from another school wanted to coach me, and that's how it all started. And he'd come over to my place at 6.30 in the morning. Mum would open the door, and he'd drag me out, and uh, we'd go running. And I, unfortunately, we lost track of each other for a long time. Then I finally got hold of him about two years ago, and I took him out for breakfast and stuff, because I always wanted to say thank you. For what he started, and he started, he helped a lot of other kids, and he just passed away about six months ago. So I was glad I got in contact with him again.
0: So um, when you left high school, did you? Uh, were you working full time? What What did you do work wise, and and were you focusing on your running as well?
1: Yeah, I had a, a little bit of a landscape and gardening business going for myself and then I decided to give that a miss because uh, my mate had the first uh, franchise for Athletes Foot and he was opening up at Hornsby who wanted me to work for him. So that's how I got into the shoe business. And from there, I moved over to Talley's Running Shop, which was the biggest running store in the country, basically. Uh, I don't know, You sell 50, 60 pairs of shoes a day. and It was in the running boom times in the 70s, mid-70s and that. And uh, after that, then I got a scholarship at the Institute of Sport.
0: And how long were you down there for?
1: Uh, seven years. And uh, Canberra people like Canberra, mate. Canberra's boring. It's too far from the ocean. <laughs> Seriously,
0: <laughs> seven years. For some reason, I thought um, I thought scholarships lasted one or two years, but you, you did did seven. Ah, uh, seven. But uh, after my accident, they gave me a job there because I.
1: Couldn't race for, well, actually, when you think about it, 13 months after Max accident, I won the city to surf again. Uh, so they gave me a bit of a job, and then my wife, my second wife at the time, was Carol Lashawala. She was on scholarship. We were in a married quarters anyway, so it didn't bother me. And then they put me back on scholarship, and, yeah, and after a certain time, I had enough of the place. So I came back up to Sydney, and, and what
0: no, where did you, know, where'd you go from
1: there? Uh, we went down to Melbourne. She was a Melbourne girl. We uh, had a place in South Yarra and that, and we lived there for about 13 months. And <clears throat> The weather was terrible and the marriage folded, so I went back to Sydney. And I came back here and lived in the south side here in, uh Cronulla and that, so I had a few friends who trained and lived here and met some more people here and then met my third wife here.
0: Okay, tell us about um what you're doing, working and running wise. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get a picture of these days. People at your level, are, are professional athletes. Was that the case back then? Was Was there enough sponsorship and, and endorsements there to support your full time?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I made a fair bit of money. It was good. Uh, I think we made more money than what these guys make now. Um, because I think we had more personality, or I don't know why why it was, but you don't hear much about it. And uh, the newspapers always chase it, the TVs chase it. If you're racing, me and was racing, or De Costello, they'll have it up on the TV, or whatever. They'll find out about it and get it going. Um, so I think we did very well in those days.
0: While we're talking about those uh, those days, the the 70s and 80s were certainly the running boom in Australia. And um, and and you mentioned one of the greats, in Castella. Were was he um was he uh, were you aspiring to to sort of be with you know as him be against him and and did you start competing with him?
1: Oh yeah, I kicked his ass on the track. He kicked my ass everywhere else. <laughs> but yeah, I, he was a, a great bloke and I'm still friends with him. I still see him and stuff. But basically, I was a, a track runner in those days, and he was more of a cross country marathoner. So we sort of crossed paths around the 10k mark and and road races, but that was about it.
0: What um what road, road races do you remember competing against him and, and what were some of the outcomes? Oh geez,
1: I really can't remember. <laughs> there must have been some. Um... We, we can
0: we can come back to that. Yeah. Um, what about uh, have you got any funny stories that you've you've shared with him that you you can share with our listeners or?
1: <laughs> yeah, probably not.
0: No, that's 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 fine. Um, so Monagetti came on the scene in the 80s. Your career was sort of book bookended by two of the great marathoners in Australian history. So you had your competition cut out for you. So likewise, can you tell us a, a, about races that you competed against Monas in?
1: Yeah, well, like I said, I always kicked his ass on the track, and he kicked my ass on the road. So and a couple of times we come very close. In racing. I think he always got the edge, I beat him a couple of times, but I can't remember where. But he beat me 9 times out of 10 on the road, and I beat him 9 times out of 10 on the track. So we had our own little areas where we could uh, excel in each other.
0: And um, is, there, is there any funny stories you can you can tell us with uh, about Monas? Or?
1: Oh, look, we were over in um, the Eckerton Relays over in Japan. I don't know what year it was, and we were racing there and we won. We beat the Kenyans and beat the Americans, the English, everything. we got you know, we did really well. And I remember we had to go to a function and I passed out in the ba we had a few drinks, right? So I passed out in the bathtub and uh <clears throat> honest, had to wake me up. <laughs> Thank God the water
0: was still warm. <laughs> All I can say. That's pretty funny. Um what about? Are there any other races that are sort of memorable for you? We've, we've we've talked about some of your some of your highlights. Are there any that we haven't mentioned that you you know that you're quite proud of or that you you want to mention?
1: Well, I did a lot of road racing over in the states, and I won a number of races there. Probably one of the better ones was the uh, Crescent City Classic. I think it was down in New Orleans, where the winner was. Uh turn it off. Uh, Where well, the winner was Arturo Barrios, and I was about—he was a world record for 10K. I was about five seconds behind him. And then there was a string of Kenyans behind us, and then all these other top runners as well. And uh, I think they paid down to about 20th. And the guy ran 21st, didn't get any money, but he still ran about 28.30. I think yeah, I think well, I ran about 27 minute, 27.50, and Arturo was about 27.48 or something, 47.
0: Wow, that's incredible for a road yeah. race. What was your um What was your PB for a um Do you do you want to get that? Yeah. Okay. So um back back to the uh the conversation. We we're talking about your 10K. So what was your PB, PB for your 10K? Uh,
1: it was uh 27:57 on the track, and that was uh the Zadarbic 10K, and I. I should have really ran about five laps to go, I should have taken out and just gone because I felt really good, but Monas was running right next to me, so I thought, yeah, easy target, with a lap to go, I think I put 10 seconds into him, <laughs> but yeah, I should, have, I should have really gone and just gone for a fast time.
0: Bragging rights anyway. Um, what about competitors? Did, did you have a, a particular tough competitor that used to come up, you used to come up against?
1: Yeah, that would be Yeah, you know, Basically on the road, I knew we were in, always going to have a good fight on the road, and he usually got like, got me 9 out of 10. And even on the track, he was pretty hard, but if I broke him, I
0: knew, or if I was still with him with a lap to go, yeah, I knew I had him. The, um, the Com Games was on at the Gold Coast this month. Uh, the winning 5,000 metre time was 13.50, which was 26 slower than your uh, gold medal time in Auckland. So what do you think, 28 years later, with all the technology, runners are actually slowing down or not running as fast as 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 they were? Well,
1: it was a kicker's race, and you got the fast guys who can really run out hard and get rid of the kickers. Well, if they start and play silly games, they just fall in the hands of the kickers, and uh, that was a kicker's game there where if I was in that race, yeah, I would have been doing nothing. I would have been sitting there going, oh, great. The race starts at 300 metres, <laughs> so that's and that's what happens. It's a championship race. If it's a, a a Diamond League race, or whatever you're getting paid and get bonuses for winning and getting second and third, yeah, it's full on. And they supply um, pacemakers. Championship records, no. So it's either got to be a good quality, couple of good quality, hard runners who go out hard. Otherwise, it's going to be a kickers race, and that's what they were. They were all most most of the races were kickers race.
0: In the hard races, have the times come down over the last 20 or 30 years, or are they much the same?
1: No, they've definitely come down a fair bit. When I first started running, the 10K uh, world record was 27.26, I think it was, or 27.22 with Henry Rono. That was in the late late 70s, I think it was. Now I think the record's 26.30-something, or 26.28 or something. So yeah, they've come down a fair bit.
0: Okay um so can we focus on racing now what was your typical what was your typical racing week like running wise say three months out from the olympics or the commonwealth games what sort of mileage were you doing well
1: like that? that depended yeah on the distance whatever but generally uh in those days when i was super fit i was doing around 200 k's a week <clears throat> it'll start with uh Seven or, sorry, 8 or 11k run in the morning, 16k run in the afternoon on a Monday, uh, 8k jog in Tuesday and then a track session, which would be anything from 400s to rep 1600s. Uh, then Wednesday would be a, a short run in the morning, then a longer run in the afternoon, which would be you know, 25, 28k, whatever. Thursday would be an easier run in the morning, then track session, and that could be you know anything from 400s to 1600s. Then his, uh, Friday would be uh, two runs again, 11k and a 16k. <laughs> yeah, Friday uh, would have been an 8k and a 16k in the afternoon. Then Saturday mornings would be a, a warm up, and that's where we'd w- really work on speed. Where I'd either do, um, well, I'd do a, a 400 session first, and then we'd, uh, which would be 400 with a 200 jog. 400s would be around 65s or a bit less <clears throat> then they have a couple of laps jog and then we'd either do 400 wind downs from a minute down to 55 or do four 200s where they'll be all in 25 seconds so yeah get the speed. Was a Sunday your rest day? No that was a long day it'll be 30 to 35k or even 38k runs sometimes.
0: And this is to train for a five or 10,000 K on the track? Mm. Yeah, it's all strength work, you know. I used to run with a Turo so I
1: used to live over in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I used to train with him a lot and we used to go up to 10,000 feet. And, uh, yeah, he used to do the big mileage too and the speed work. But he was uh, one of these strength runners, he didn't have much kick down speed but he had a lot of strength so he could run you off your feet before you had a chance to ever try and out kick him.
0: What about um, 24 hours before a big event? What what would you have for dinner?
1: Uh, that'd be very light. It'd be some sort of pasta with not too much meat sauce. Um, maybe a light beer. Although I've been when I was in Europe, I used to uh, room with another guy, Irish guy, John. I forget his last name, but we'd go out and he'd have about eight pints of beer, and you still get first or second in a 5k running. you know, 13, 18, 13, 16 or 13, 15, so I don't know how he ever
0: did that, but yeah, I was never that way. Imagine if he wasn't drinking that much. <laughs> and um, what about, what's a typical breakfast
1: race day? Okay, breakfast race day, it depends what time the race is on, but generally for, you know, usually road races, um, I'd have a bit of toast, a bit of tea, uh, maybe a banana, would be two hours beforehand, and not much else beforehand. You know, those days we didn't have goo or energy gels or anything like that. Uh, we just had to make do.
0: <laughs> and how important was race psychology for you? Did you um, did you try and get into a certain zone before the race? Where you, you know, like everyone's different, aren't they? And you've got some people that are that are dead serious, and you know, some people that are relaxed and joking around. Where where do you sit in that scale? Uh,
1: relaxed, joking around. I remember there was one guy called. Uh, Malcolm Norwood, who overthought the race all the time, he, said, he was always going through all these different scenarios, mate, just let it happen. And I know the best race I did was uh, for the City Surf when I ran my fastest, Tom was 93 when I was going through a divorce and everything, and Wayne Larden came out, come on, let's do a warm up. I said, no, I can't even be bothered to do that. And I said, I didn't really care about the race and stuff. And then, yeah, I ran my fastest race and I switched off after heartbreak as well, so I should have hammered it, but I was the most relaxed I ever did, and I reckon that's the way you should go in. If you get too tense and too caught up in it, you tend to overthink everything.
0: How did you manage your nerves before big events such as the Olympics and Commonwealth Games? Uh,
1: That's a hard one. I don't know. I I got a bit nervous, I must admit that, but I I try to put it out of context where, you know, you're always thinking that you're running for someone else or whatever or... If I don't do this, they're going to put shit on me. You've got to think. Well, I've just got to do my best. So you're better off just looking at yourself and saying how good you can be.
0: Did you have a, a particular routine that you you like to follow pre-race? Uh, if it's a track race, it usually be
1: at night. So I'd uh, get up, have a little jog, have a light lunch, go to the movies, have an hour or two, sleep in bed, and then up ready to race and it was usually 9.30 or 10 at night, so it made the day go a bit quicker rather than sitting around doing nothing.
0: Yep. And what about when, when the gun goes for whether you're doing a, I guess on a, on a track, because like, as close as we get to watching track events at, at your level is, is on the TV, what's, um, what's, your, what's your strategy? Do you, do you rely on splits or do you focus on your position in the field? Do you, do you always have a, a, a race plan prior to the event?
1: I have a basic race plan and uh, I, I watch some of the Australian athletes these days and they've got no idea where they're at, you know, when you see them they should be moving up, especially in 1500s and whatever, they're, they're running behind the back and they're trying to outpace some of these guys who are faster, you've got to be right up the shoulder. Well, generally my race plan was to stay close to the front, not at the back, even if meant running wide, ready to snap down if once the action started. So, like a 10k or... Wouldn't do much work at all. I'd use my kick as the uh, crunch. And with a lap to go, then I'd start making me move. But um, some of these other guys I watch, you know, in the 800 and stuff, you can't give people a break. And it's got to be instantaneous. When when action starts, you, you don't even have to think about it. Bang. And that's what we used to do in training. We'd do 400s um, with a kick down 200 where you'd get to a 200 mark and then bang, straight away. And if you miss that, you're not going to catch up. And I, I watch it all the time. I saw it on these Commonwealth Games. A number of people were just... They didn't know where to put themselves. And, you know, being boxed in and that is... Uh, I very rarely got boxed in. I think I got once or twice in my career. But, uh, yeah, nah, getting boxed in, you can't do anything.
0: You sound, you sound like you've got a lot of experience and knowledge that you can impart with uh, some some of the Aussies on the track. Have you considered um, getting into coaching?
1: I uh, coached a while back until we had kids. So I had a group down the track and stuff, and I was teaching them how to run and use their arms properly and get more drive and stuff, but these days you get a bit busy, and I like I said, I watched a few Australians, I thought, what well, geez, a coach should be telling them where to be, you know, and I suppose if you've got to tell them where to be, they shouldn't be out there anyway, because you should know that per- by yourself, you know, um, and then they should uh, know what sort of runner they are too, where if you're not a kicker, you don't stay down the back, you go up the front. If you kick it, you stay two or three paces. You know, two, three, four paces off the back, off the front. So. Yeah.
0: What about? You would have had quite a few coaches in your in your career. Are, are there any that um, that have left some lasting influences of you, or that you know that, that that imparted some really good advice?
1: Yeah. Well, the first one was the first coach, Stu McNeil. Um, he got me going, gave me a an bit of inference and he didn't really know much about running us in the running booms. But it was probably Dick Telford uh, from the Institute of Sport who uh, put everything together for us and really understood how the body worked. Well, he was a scientist and he knew all about different things, how the body works and what happens and whatever. Now he he was very good.
0: He was he's um, still coaching the the Aussie team mm-hmm. now and, and quite a, quite an Australian legend. Uh, is there anything that sort of he, he sort of imparted on you, or, or gave you advice, or any, is there anything in particular that you can think of that really helped you improve? Uh, no, it was just
1: a good, solid uh, look at the whole picture—not one thing. But I suppose if you had to pick it, it would have been the speed. He worked on a, my speed. He knew I had speed, and he said, "Well, we've got to do something about that," and which he did.
0: Did you um, did you coach yourself for for a period of time, and and how 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 was the outcome for that?
1: Yeah, look, I went, when I went down to the Institute of Sport, I was supposed to be coached by Pat Cloessie and uh, with all these other guys. And Yeah, I was getting coached by, uh, well, supposed to be po- coached by Pat Cloessie and I was with the group and that and I didn't really like what they were doing. So I just decided to coach myself. And I remember you know, three or four or five months later, Pat Cloessie come up to me and goes, mate, you're supposed to be training with the, the group. And I said, well, I've won all the national titles no one's beaten me, I think I'm doing the right thing, don't you? And he says, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and that was it. So, so nothing changed, you just kept kept training with it yeah. by yourself? Yeah, until I decided, you know, I, I got fed up of doing it myself because I, I just wanted someone else to tell me what to do rather than think about it. I remember uh, at the Commonwealth Games in 1990 when Dick came up, Dick Telford came up to me and goes, All right, what's your race strategy? I said, mate, that's your job, not mine. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> How
0: long before the race was that? Oh, probably about two hours before. <laughs> really? So did he give you? Did he give you some advice and yeah. st- he gave you a strategy? Yeah. And what was it? Well, he said you're a fast kicker, just sit, <laughs> which is perfect. So uh, training advice, what um, what what can you share with our listeners that you can you can help them improve their performance?
1: I think you've got to find your strengths and weaknesses to start with, and. Um <clears throat> some weaknesses well they're always going to be weak you know your style or your, the way you run you know it's very hard to change some sort of styles um, with your strengths you can make them stronger uh, like I said with speed I had natural speed so I made it stronger um, I try to do a bit more endurance because I was uh, not a very strong runner but I was a fast runner so we try to work on that as well so you've you got to know your strengths and weaknesses and work from there
0: Finally, you're selling the product now, Goo. Tell us, um, how did you get into that role? Um, and then, Yeah, so just gives a bit of background how you got into to Goo. Yeah, that's another funny story. Um, <clears throat> I was
1: working for Reebok at the time, and this guy kept on phoning me up and said, oh, do you want to sell this product? And I just around, pushed him away about five times, and I decided to leave Reebok and I was doing up the house and. And I finally answered the call and I said, yeah, what's going on? And he's told me about this product called Goo Energy Gel. I said, oh, yeah, right. So I went and met him and I went out for for half a day and made about 150 bucks, not knowing what I was doing profit. I went, oh, this is not too bad. And I remember the first time I ever had a gel was... When I first met my uh, third wife, uh, uh, not Lynn, bloody Sue, (laughs) I'll be in trouble for that one. Uh, When I met Sue, and she was a triathlete, and they used to use all the latest and greatest and this, that and the other, and we went down to um, King of the Mountain. Uh, It's a 32k race, I think it was. We'd been out all night, bus picked us up, stopped at McDonald's for breakfast. (laughs) I was retired, of course, when this time. And just before the race, she said, here, take one of these things with you. You'll probably need it. And I thought, i would just keep her happy. And I said, yeah, OK. Had no intention of using it. And then after the big hill, I thought, I'd better pop this. I'm not feeling too good. And I was leading by about 800 metres. <clears throat> Popped it. Kept on going really well. But then the wheels did fall off about 800 metres to go. So it got me there, but didn't quite get me to a win. But I thought,
0: yeah, it's a good product. Probably more to do with your uh, race prep the night before.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Definitely. <laughs>
0: So um we're having a beer, Lloydie. you're um you're on the Coronas, mm. and um, is, is this the uh, that's that's just that's your go-to beer, that's your staple beer?
1: Yeah, it's definitely the preferred ha- alcohol to have. Um, otherwise it might be too is dry or whatever, but none of these squires crap or any of these fruity boutique beers, you know they're like wine snobs, you know, I just can't yeah. have that stuff. you
0: don't, you don't like the pufta, the pufta <laughs> pale ales. <No. laughs> yes, yeah, like I said, they sound like wine snobs. So you were saying before you can find Corona at, at most most establishments, so it's a pretty uh, pretty handy go-to beer.
1: Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest selling beers in the entire world now. So I think it is number one. Actually, I think they make something like 10 million bottles a day or something.
0: So um, have you heard of a beer called Stone and Wood? They they make it. It's one of those boutique beers. They make it up at Byron Bay. Have you heard of it? No,
1: no, I've had some of those beers. I remember one of my mates had a. Uh, I think he was having a birthday party, but the we boys went out to have a few drinks at one of these boutique places where they brew their own shit. And uh, <coughs> we were there for two hours and I had three sips of a beer. <laughs> so I got to drive, didn't I? <laughs> Couldn't, could not get into it at all? No way, they had chocolate beer, chilli beer and all that crap, so no.
0: You don't. Beer shouldn't be sport, should it? Just yeah. keep it simple?
1: <laughs> Icy cold and crisp.
0: And um, are there, you know, back in the back in your day when you were racing, um, we, would you uh, indulge in a few few too many beers before some of your events?
1: Yeah, that's happened a few times down at the Bernie 10K, uh, which is the richest road race in, in Australia at the time, and we get plastered. Still win, but yeah, it made it a bit harder. And, stronger. I remember uh, Yobi, a he used to come over to my place. He was a Kenyan who broke the world 5,000 metre record and come and raid my wine. And we'd get smashed together. Then he'd go out and run
0: unbelievable training sessions afterwards as well. So, yeah. Um, obviously, <laughs> you've, you've got some ability. Does does that come from your parents? What, 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 what are the genetics there? So I reckon it skips a generation because
1: my granddad was the... English cross country champion for the army, so and he actually didn't look like a runner either, <laughs> a solid little thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's genetics as well. I think there's a lot of genetics involved, but you've got to have the genetics
0: and the will, the mind power. You've got to have the combination of both. So, just to, before we finish up, you, you're talking about running being quite lucrative back in the day. Can you give us an idea about some of the um, some of the prizes that some of the big big races or the big uh, fun runs were, were paying back then?
1: Are we talking internationally or here? <laughs> can, we, can we talk both? <laughs> oh, look, um, I think back in the 70s, early 80s, there was 5,000 for the Bernie 10, I might have been. I can't remember now. Uh, the marathons were like 10,000 uh, for the Mel- uh, Sydney Marathon. The Melbourne Marathon uh, they didn't have the prize money in those days. City of Surf, we used to get appearance money, which I can't tell you how much, <laughs> but it was a lot more than that. Um, then over in the states, I'd win five thousand or ten thousand dollars US dollars. Like I'd run six, seven races, make you know a yearly wage for a normal person at a reasonable job would get, and then go to Europe and make the same there, and yeah, so.
0: So did you have almost a decade there when where you really didn't need need to to work because you were living off the prize money?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was very lucrative, but you had to reach a certain time standard, and I've never seen some of these people who were going to give up their job to become professional runners, and they're running like a minute slower than me, and I'm going, you're crazy, you won't make a cent. So, yeah, yeah, I had 10 years of good, good income, you know, bought a number of houses, whatever, at the time, Sold a number of houses too, um, but yeah, it gave me a good good li- livelihood and a great experience. Travel the world, you know, endless summer. And when you weren't injured, you you went to you had summer here, go to America, then go to Europe, and then come back here.
0: You um you mentioned Reebok being one of your sponsors. What were some of the other What were some of the other brands?
1: <laughs> well, we started with Puma. Herb Elliott uh, sponsored me with Puma. Then it went. to... Uh, Adidas, then Nike, then Reebok, and I think there was New Balance there somewhere, yeah. I did prostitute myself a bit.
0: (laughs) So, talking of sponsors, um, have you you got any funny stories that you can share with us about uh, your your sponsored products?
1: Yeah, I was sponsored by Puma, and uh, I was going down to run the second, um, um, what do you call it, the Melbourne Marathon, I was waiting for my shoes to turn up, my racing shoes, and they never turned up. So they sent me these other shoes, and they were race walking shoes. <laughs> straight out of the packet, straight on the feet, and off I went. And I ran 2:17 in those
0: <laughs> walking shoes.
1: Yeah, race walking shoes. And they were, they were very uncomfortable, but it uh, did the job. You got to keep the sponsors happy. Oh yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to go out and get another pair of somewhere. <laughs> it was too late to get anything else. So it was, it it worked.
0: Very good. Well, that's uh, something we can take away from. It's not necessarily what you're wearing, or uh, it's more more how hard you train and and your ability and, and what you put in, you, you get out of it. So, thanks very much for your time, Lody. Uh It's been good chatting to you, and uh, I'll see you out on the trails. Thanks, Matt. Been great. <laughs> Tchau,